Welcome to Plaything, conversations about games, interactivity, art, and culture. This podcast is recorded live at the USC Game Innovation Lab, which is part of the USC Games program at the University of Southern California. For more information, follow us on Twitter at USC Game Lab, or visit our website at gameinnovationlab.com slash playthink. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Playthink. I'm Jeff Watson. I'm a professor here at the USC School of Cinematic Arts. Uh, in the Interactive Media and Games Division. Tonight we'll be speaking with Miguelis Fido-Martinez. Miguelis is a a designer whose work lives at the intersection of experience design, immersive storytelling, and experiential learning. She creates projects that cultivate spaces that harness story, design, and technology as tools for critical play and social dreaming. Miguelis currently serves as the designer-in-residence at the Critical Design and Gaming School uh, at Hawkins High School in South Central Los Angeles. In this role, Miguelis is designing an experiential learning model and play space also known as the Imagination Lab. Welcome, Miguelis. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's great to have you here. Um, before we dive into talking about you and your work, and I know there's there's a, there's a lot of stories leading you to this place, um, I just wanted to sort of set the stage for everyone and ask you about uh, just the context where the Imagination Lab is sited right now, uh, Hawkins High School and the uh, Critical Design and Gaming uh, program that that is a part of Hawkins. Can you just sort of set the stage for us? Sure, sure. So the Imagination Lab is... Um, situated in the Critical Design and Gaming School, which is one of the uh, three small social action schools uh, at Hawkins. Um, the Imagination Lab is, when, it, when the initial idea behind it from the school, the school's perspective was that they wanted to create a maker space. And they uh, brought me in. We talked a bit about you know, what makerspaces are, what they do. And I asked them if they would be willing to expand on um, what this makerspace could be. It was actually, did not have a name when I came in. It was, can you come in as a designer in residence and create a makerspace? And so I asked them if I could play with that idea a little bit. And, and um, from the makerspace came this idea of creating the Imagination Lab, um, which is part makerspace, part design studio, and uh, part play space. Fantastic. So just to give us a little more context, tell us a bit about your trajectory into getting this, this gig and, and doing this kind of work. You know, where, where, where did, what kind of influences are you gathering together here? Yeah, interesting. So I actually, um, prior to this work, uh, I, I'm a, trained in filmmaking and writing. I actually graduated from the University of Southern California in uh, filmic writing and creative writing. Got my MFA from Sarah Lawrence College in New York in writing. And so my, my foundation is, is storytelling um, and visual storytelling how I got into uh, experience design and immersive storytelling. Um, I met uh, a, an amazing um, creative by the name of Lance Weiler uh, in 2013. 
And he, um, he and some of his, his team, uh, actually him, he took me under his wing um, and mentored me for about five or six years. And I traveled with uh, the Learn Do Share team, mm -hmm. uh, which was a, a global uh, design collective. We had um, experience halls in Sydney, uh, Ghent, Gothenburg, London, Paris. Um, and so I just traveled with the team and, and I learned uh, from the ground up um, by, by spending time with, with Lance Weiler, some time with Nick Fortuno, who's a game designer, um, Atlee Lafridge, who graduated last year, yes. um, got her MFA from the Interactive Media and Games Division. And so I just, I just hung out with them and, and learned. And, and um, what I gained from the experience of being with people like Lance Weiler um, and others, other pioneers of the experience design um, field was not to adhere to permission culture, to be free, to try it out, to test, to play. Um, even if you're nervous or afraid, do it anyway. And so they, in many ways, um, helped me unshackle what, I guess, what along the way as a creative, as someone who's, in, who's going to school for all these, these many years studying, um, I found that I was becoming more afraid to try things and I, I was being um, safe, play mm -hmm. it safe, play it safe, play it safe, as opposed to play. And so when I, I, I met them, it really became um, this experience of try it out, play, test it, get feedback. Um, so that's how I got here. Yeah, These I mean, I, was, I was similarly totally inspired by by the work of that group and uh, you know Lance going back to the early 2000s. Oh. I remember just seeing the the kind of weird roadshow stuff he was doing yeah. with movie screenings, where it wasn't just about the movie, but it was also about all this experience around the screening itself. You know, these sort of ventures into transmedia storytelling. Um, and the kind of like, uh, like you say, sort of fearlessness that it, that it embodied gave me a lot of creative fearlessness. That I, you know, I, I've also really been inspired to use, particularly around uh, educational settings, where I think there's actually a lot to be learned from these sort of uh, entertainment experiments that we can draw into other contexts for play, which it's after all a, a big function of the school. Um, you know, at, at every level to be a context for play. Um, would you be able to elaborate on that maybe more generally about like what the role, since you're now working in a school, what you feel is the, the sort of the role of play, and you also use this mm. term dreaming, mm -hmm. uh, in, in an educational setting? Because I, I think, you know, normatively we don't always associate play with school. Right. Um, even though, it, it, you know, it seems like it actually is a really crucial part of it. Right. Um, so yeah, I go back to that feeling that I had when I started to hang around, or not hang around, but work with um, this group of creatives and experienced designers that were open to trying new things, 
um, fearless in the face of failure. And I wanted to replicate my experience in a space for young people that may have similarly um, have grown up um, having to play it safe. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create a space where, well, a space as well as activities, activations, um, experiences that gave them a chance to explore what they really thought about themselves, the world around them. And I'm not a game designer by training. I love to play and we, we all love to play. I mean, that it just kind of goes back to childhood. And so play made a lot of sense. How do we create more opportunities for, for play, um, collective and social dreaming, um, opportunities to fail, um, to question how we feel about failing and using a framework of questions that poke at these fail, these moments of failure, not from a judgmental space, but playfully mm -hmm. questioning, oh, I failed there. How did that happen? What did I learn? What did we learn? And kind of making fun of ourselves along the way yeah. um, helps to create that opening in the imagination lab for myself as well, because I'm failing as I'm going along. I'm trying to figure out how to create a space where we can all fail together in a public school setting where there are a lot of rules that can potentially tamper that idea of fail fast, fail often, when it's about scores um, and yeah. grades. There's very little room to fail. And it kind of orients, I see this in some of the students that arrive out of high schools into our university program. Uh, there's a real aversion to doing the risky thing because it could lead to failure. And there's almost like a tra transactional orientation toward, mm -hmm. toward education. And I, I find that's, that's a hard thing to kind of hack out, you know, to, to get through that and to shift away from that sort of reward kind of mentality where I'm doing this in exchange for something else, mm -hmm. especially in high school where people are so focused on getting into college or, you know, how is this going to impact the rest of my life? There's a huge amount of anxiety. Um, and, and play is about something very different. It's about the intrinsic rewards of doing, of just doing something right. and see what happens. Um, ha have you found you've been able to get through to the students on, on that kind of level? Interesting. Um, as you were speaking, I was, I, I, I was imagining I could actually see some of the students' faces um, as we're sitting here. Uh, what I, play is important to them, um, but what I found more important to them is wanting to create meaningful impact for their community mm -hmm. and play is a way to get there it's not 
where they end. They're really, I found that when I introduce opportunities for them to create real meaningful impact on the ground, either at the school or in the community that we live in, I live in the community as well. Um, I chose to live in the community that I was going to design with and for. And so we are all in this together and we use play as a way sometimes to, to get us to the innovative idea. Mm -hmm. But really what excites us, or what I'm noticing excites us is creating meaningful um, impact. Right, and I, I want to hear more about who the students are in a second, but I, I thought, you know, just as you were saying that, it's worth noting that that, that seems to be kind of the, the overall mandate of the high school itself, right? That I, I noticed that the other programs, in addition to critical design and gaming, are, uh, are called Responsible Indigenous Social Entrepreneurship and Community Health Advocacy. And, and all three of these areas, it's really interesting how it's drawing this connection between what we're doing in school and the community at large. And that, is, that connection is often missing and it can make school feel like purely this hoop to jump through, that, that real life starts after school. But uh, it seems like that's sort of the, they, you've turned that on, on its head globally at the school and then specifically uh, with you. Um, can you just tell us a bit more, like this is a public school, right? Yeah, so this school, I've been working in the education space for about 20 years now. I've not worked at any school like this. It is really special. Um, it was actually started by teachers. It is a teacher-driven school, teacher-driven campus. It's also community-driven and student-driven. Um, but it was started by teachers from, I, I don't know them all, mm -hmm. um, teachers who were, they were at Manual Arts High School right down the street from here. Um, and they, from what I heard, they went through a lot to get this school built um, and, and made. So the, the specialness of it is in those individuals that actually created those teachers that made this school happen. And this um, was back in like 2014-ish? Yeah, or? I think the school might be six years old mm -hmm. now. Um, I was volunteering there from 2016 to 2017 because I loved it so much. I just wanted to be there working with the staff, the teachers and, and the students. Um, I love, it's a, it is a really, really special place. And so who are the students that end up in yeah. your lab? So they're, they're actually, it's a community school. Mm -hmm. So it's not a magnet school, it's not a charter school. It's an LAUSD school. Community school means that every student from that community that shows up to the campus is welcomed. So we have students from, we're, right, we're located on um, 60th mm -hmm. uh, in between Hoover and Vermont. Uh, in between Slauson and Gage. And so our students come from the neighborhood. They are uh, Latino, Latina, uh, African-American. Uh, we have students that have just newly arrived from uh, Central America. Um, and it really is 
a welcoming space um, for all the students that walk in. We don't we we don't say no to anyone. They, if you're in the neighborhood and you're in the ninth or twelfth grade, you're welcome. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like a you know pretty great opportunity for mm -hmm. everybody in that area. I, I certainly would have loved to go there myself, uh, the way that it's been described to me. Um, you know, and, and, and along the lines of this interface between the community and the school, um, with the students themselves, you know, play is, is often associated with leisure time, time outside of school, extracurricular activities. Do you find that because of what you're doing in the lab, that, that you're blurring those lines even further with, mm. you know, sort of making play something that, you know, as you said, we, we're, we're also doing for community engagement purposes. Mm -hmm. We're also doing in this kind of educational scenario. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, obviously the students are also going and, and playing on their own. Is, mm -hmm. is there uh, a sense that, that some of that sort of private orientation toward play is also coming into the school as well and yeah. making it personal. So I want to I'll, I'll, I want to step out a little bit from the Imagination Lab and talk a bit about the critical design and gaming school, um, their pathways integrate game design and critical design into uh, classes. So there's a game design class in the tenth grade. Um, in the ninth grade, students learn how to use Scratch, and they're also making games. Um, by senior year, they're taking um, computer science, AP computer science. Uh, I just sat with the English teacher today, and we were talking about uh, the game design document and how we're going to embed critical design into the game design document. Uh, so gaming is a part of the culture. Critical design and gaming is embedded on the campus at Critical Design and Gaming. What they get to do at the Imagination Lab, we get to really open that wide open and play. We get to play because we're, there, there are no grades in the Imagination Lab. It's really, um, we're actually getting ready to open or start an esports team. Mm -hmm. So that's coming to, to Critical Design and Gaming School and it will be housed in the Imagination Lab. Um, so I'm not sure if that answers the question. I, I feel like I went all over the place a little bit there. Yeah, no, so no, help no. me. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was great. I mean, I, uh, with the, the, the lab, maybe like just really basically, what are some of the benefits that you've mm. seen to these, these learners? over the course of the time that you've been doing that and then also kind of understanding the, the broader context. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll talk a little bit about technologies, mm -hmm. like what's available in this lab, right? So when they come in, they have access to physical computing um, supplies, materials such as Makey Makey's, Arduino's, Raspberry Pi, um, Ozobots, Little Bits. So when they come in, they are playing with materials that they never would have had an opportunity to play with otherwise. And tinkering and playing and trying it out. And so in their 10th grade, they worked on game boards. And so now we're looking at, well, how can we embed um, either Arduinos or um, Makey Makeys onto these game boards to create this interactive mm -hmm. experience. And the, the game boards would have been made in one of their sort of official their, classes. Their official class. And then the lab is almost like kind of just drop in, drop out mm -hmm. kind of thing? Yeah. So sometimes they'll come in with their, their classes and tinker and play and test. 
And what I have to say, thank you to the teachers and thank you to the admin, admin for allowing the classes to pull away mm -hmm. from class time to play and tinker and make alongside their curriculum in this imagination lab. There's, so that's, that's a, a big, um, not win, but that, that's major because not a lot of schools would do that. Um, then students can also drop in after school if they're working on a project. For example, we had students who were working on a physics derby card. They came in and they worked with the physical computing devices or they worked with the maker materials to enhance their projects that they were doing in, in physics. Some other technologies that students can come in and, and use and play with. We have an Oculus Rift. We have a PC. Um, uh, a PC that's built for VR. We have uh, VR 360 cameras. We have a multimedia production studio, um, animation software. Every single student on that campus has access to Adobe Creative Cloud suite. Mm. We have Wacom tablets. We have, I mean, it's 3D printers. It's a, it's a space that has all these, these goodies. Yeah. <laughs> So that if a young person or teacher or even someone from the, the, you know, parents can come in, if they have an idea that they want to make a reality, they can play and they can tinker and they can test. And they also form teams. They help each other. So if someone's really good at computer programming, they're the ones that are programming. And if another person's really good, another piece of it is art. We have an art studio in the space. So the students that are more engaged as artists or designers or illustrators, they work as a team with the other makers and builders and, and programmers. So going back to uh, what you were saying earlier, it's not just a makerspace. So obviously it's serving this, you know, multiple roles at the school. You know, it's, it's providing this kind of uh, gathering spot for people who are interested. It's providing almost like a service to other programs at the school and classes. Um, but it, I know something that's been very important for you is this idea of, of social dreaming. Mm -hmm and uh, storytelling, right? Which is, you know, speaks to some of your, your trajectory into this space. Um, so, so tell us more about that piece of it. Um, you know, because I, I think I, I'm very interested in the ways that we can playfully explore possible futures, uh, particularly when we're rethinking or thinking through our communities and, and the, the futures that are, are latent in those spaces. So, so how does that fit into the lab and, and how do you sort of structure that into the overall program? Mm, wow, this, these are some good questions. Let me see, where do I start? <laughs> um, hmm. I mean, maybe just start with just talking a little bit more about this concept of, of social dreaming. Yeah, so what inspires that part of my work is this idea that um, I, I, so my questions are, what kind of future are we designing? Mm -hmm. Who gets to participate in imagining and creating the world that we collectively inhabit? Mm -hmm. um, if there are people missing from the designing of the world that we're 
creating, then it means that we're going to continue to create um, inequity. Uh, we're also missing out on um, solutions that can, that can only come from these communities. Um, so it's a little bit like, you know, 50 years ago, science fiction was sort of emerging out of Hollywood and then out of uh, various kinds of publishers, um, you know, and, and, and novelists. Uh, but wasn't sort of a practiced thing, you know, mm. more broadly. Is part of what you're doing sort of socializing science fiction and making <laughs> it more available? No, I don't think that that's... As a, as a creative practice? Yeah, I think that I'm really interested in creating spaces for people who usually do not have an opportunity to imagine the future, to design the future, and to use the tech, the current and emerging technologies mm -hmm. in service to their imagination and their design. Like this is what we also would like for the future to be. That's what drives that for me. Your game that you created, co-created with Stuart Candy, I use it um, in the school, in the imagination lab with English teachers, um, with science teachers. We use it and we, we've remixed it as I've mm -hmm. spoken with you about. It's an opportunity for young people to really imagine what, not only what the world could look like in 50 years, but how might they contribute to how we are living in that world. And also, what will their community look like 50 years and how in 50 years and how can they be a part of imagining that and creating um, either experiences or artifacts or um, opportunities for their community to be to sustain itself. Um, well, thank you for that plug, um, and uh, yeah, I will uh, buy you coffee later. Uh, but all, you know, also that's totally the intention behind that project is to try to facilitate those kinds of conversations. I'm interested in, in the context of the Imagination Lab, where those conversations lead as they sort of materialize and become more. You know, uh, a student say starts actually making something. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that, that's my phone. Um, you know, what, what maybe an example of a project that has come out of a kind of future-oriented imagination process that then sort of led to some actual design work that, that went on into the lab. You know, what, what might be something that we could that could help us get our heads around mm. in a way how this philosophy is kind of operationalized in, in the lab context? Mm. Like a, a, an outstanding project. Uh, or something that's ongoing now? So we recently, and we used Think From the Future, a remix of it. And what I mean by remix is they created an artifact for um, a character in an Octavia Butler novel. Mm. So they created um, empathy goggles that were going to be worn by the main character. Um, and the name of the book is Parable of the Sower. 
and it was this idea of how do we create this artifact that will do two things. One, assist the main character on her quest as she's grabbing these groups of people that are going to help them survive when they get to their next location. And then the second um, intention behind the empathy goggles was for them to then place it on someone that was living in today, present, that would see the world 50 years from now. What was going to be, what, what did they learn about the world that they then needed to come back and communicate mm -hmm. to people today so that they can help initiate some interventions. Right. Steer toward or away from different possibilities. Yes. Yeah. So the, the empathy, so we started with the thing from the future, then we went into empathy goggles, and now we're playing with the idea of a board game called Earthseed that will um, assist young people who are reading the parable of the sower book with playing along with the characters in the right. book. So in lieu of being able to actually create actual empathy goggles, this game allows for almost some, it does some of the work that those sort of speculative goggles might exactly. do. Exactly. And so I have about 10 of them uh, on display yeah. and we're constantly um, iterating on them and seeing them as lenses. And it looks like the goggles will serve as card decks, like mm -hmm. they'll be lenses. So, yeah. So you can actually, these are actually fabricated goggles. They're fabricated goggles. And, They're and made when, out of like materials from this place called Trash for Teaching, now known as Two-Bit Circus Foundation. Uh-huh. So they, yeah, there's materials, maker materials. Um, they're made out of plastic and cardboard, but they have a lot of, and feather and yeah. pipe cleaners, but they have a lot of uh, character and, and personality, each of the, the goggles. Teachers yeah. made them as well at the beginning of the school year. Well, I was going to ask you about the, the faculty and the just the rub-off effect of doing this playful, experimental stuff in an already, you know, let's face it, pretty experimental yeah. sounding school. Yeah. But has has there been, that, that sounds like one example of a rub-off on the, on the faculty, but what, how else are faculty sort of touched by this project? Uh, so part of my work is I... I work closely with teachers that want to drop into the Imagination Lab or integrate um, Imagination Lab practices and methodologies. Um, they've been welcoming, curious, um, anxious, thoughtful, um, supportive. Uh, they're all brilliant, they're smart, they're empathetic, they are really, I always say to people, y'all have some beautiful humans in, in, in this building. Like One of the reasons I'm at the school is because of the humans that are in there, the students and the adults. I learn from them every single day. They're patient with me. As a designer in residence, I'm not an educator. I'm not a certified teacher. They don't hold that against me. Mm. Um, 
during lunch. <laughs> They're playing board games. <laughs> so they, they, they are, um, they practice what they, what they teach. They're amazing. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing group. And I, I think uh, one of the last questions I'll ask you before I open it up to the audience is, um, you know, maybe a question in two parts. The first part is, what, what do you think needs to happen to make this kind of thing a reality at, at, at a school? Like, what story might you tell to um, administrators or to, to faculty at another high school about the value of these kinds of approaches and, and the value of something like a designer in residence mm. in an imagination lab. Yeah, how, how would you pitch that to some Yeah, that's other a great big question. That's exactly what I'm trying to figure out um, now. Yeah. Um, because what, another one of the questions that people ask is how do we bring this to a school that may not have all the, the funding um, to get all the, the technologies into the space which is why I start with art and maker materials. Um, it's not about the technology in the space. It's about uh, the, the methods, the practice, the openness, um, the willingness to play and be curious and to try and test. I don't have at the moment um, the kind of measures that, for example, did it raise student test scores? Right. Um, did it, uh, did their grades go up? I'm collecting qualitative data. I believe that next year will be a good time to, to start, not once the space is up, you know, it's running, I'm not building it out. Because um, this year was really about building it and co-designing it with students and staff and communities. I, I'm flying it as I'm also making it. <laughs> We're not doing that next year, um, or I won't be, the space will be done, so I can focus my attention on being able to answer that question. Like, how, what is it that, that administrators and school districts want to see in terms of success, and how can we continue to um, have the freedom in the imagination lab yet address how do we how do we defend our case how do we yeah. prove that yes students i can see it i can hear um students um, being, I, I have one student, she's a computer science, uh, she's really into programming and computer science. She recently applied to, um, to Stanford and she wants to, she's going to be a math major. And after the 12th grade linked learning project, which is a project-based learning project that the 12th graders all participated in, she looked at me, she said, wow, I didn't know I was creative. Hmm. And so now she's interested. She says, yes, I'm, gonna, I'm still interested in majoring in math. But she's also interested in art and technology. She said, I didn't know I was creative. So those qualitative stories, those anecdotes, I'm collecting those now from teachers and, and from students. Another um, a teacher shared with me that one of the students who um, 
there's a student who doesn't participate in any activity. Doesn't, it's quiet. But when he comes into the imagination lab, he's always engaged, he's talking, he's sharing. Um, and so those are the stories that I'm collecting now, but I, I think next year we're, we're gonna wanna get a bit more serious about collecting data mm -hmm. uh, around uh, those areas that educators I guess care about yeah. well yeah, I mean it goes back to one of the first things you said during our, our conversation tonight you know which was you know flashing back to to the kind of gonzo uh, just you know do it kind of approach uh, that, that you learned from working alongside uh, some some interesting filmmakers and and transmedia people um, and and you know applying that into an educational setting uh, in ways where you're not initially trying to optimize for creating the data that would support it. Right. Um, and it seems to me that, that that sort of answers the other part of this last question, which was what sorts of institutional support are required beyond just money. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it feels like part of it is, is, is a tolerance for risk by the institution itself. Yeah, yeah the um, principal, um, the administrators, um, I would say have given me the freedom uh, to create and co-create with the students and the teachers. Um, and you're also facilitating the students to have that kind of freedom and space yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, that's great, that's right. Uh, it's been wonderful talking to you, McAllis. Uh, thank you so much. We will now open the room to some questions from our audience. And uh, let's take it from here. Yes. So, uh, let me make sure that I have this. So, there's so many places I can respond to in, in what you've been talking about. There's so many things that ring so true to me. Um, so, I'm not sure which questions to, to ask first. Um, the the, I guess the, the first thing that I want to respond to is this notion of um, you know, students who are technical not thinking that they're creative and this idea that there's a space for them to discover the, create, the, the sort of inherent creativity in what they are, they, what they do perceive themselves um, to be good at. And I, and I love that when you told that story, you, just, you told it about a young woman. Um, which is so surprising and so so lovely. And so I guess one of my questions would be about the sort of gender balance in a school or a, a, a part of a school that is focused so much on, on gaming. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I'm glad you, you um, caught that. It's um, predominantly young men that are in the school uh, or enrolled. Is that because they self-select? They self-select. Okay. Yep. And so when I started there in 2016 as a volunteer, I focused on working with African-American students because there's also a low number of African-American students or a lower number. And I also focused on young women. And so flash forward a few years, we actually have um, a program called Young Women in Tech. Oh, they named themselves Young Women in Tech. <laughs> and the first year, 
three of uh, the young women and myself, we worked with a nonprofit organization called Genesis and the Challengers Boys and Girls Club. And we prototyped an empathy bot and took it to CES <laughs> um, to showcase it. Uh, and then last year, the young ladies worked with uh, Allison Comrie and Atley on Palimpsest. So that was our second. An MFA uh, project here. An yeah. MFA project here at USC. Exactly. That was the second Young Women in Tech. The program, it, it used to be called Girls in Tech, and they recently named themselves Young Wit. And there are 12 young students that participate, and Young Wit is now going to be facilitating, co-facilitating workshops with young uh, female students from John Muir. They'll be coming once a month after school. So we are, that's that's something that we at the- Making connections even beyond your own program. Yes. So great, because that is sort of one of the other questions. I mean, you start talking about the tech in your, in your lab, and I was sort of, my little calculator was going on, going, what? wait a minute, where are you getting all of this? And, you know, I, having done a number of projects uh, with, you know, taking games into schools, I know this very sad state of many schools in terms of the technology available to them. So it sounds like, I mean, you, you guys have this amazing, plentiful access to, to really emerging technologies. Um, it heartens me to hear that you are, um, you know, broadening that mm -hmm. reach uh, um, and, and making connections in, in places that maybe don't have uh, Yeah, that. being that it's a community school, yeah. um, the Imagination Lab is for the community. Yeah. It, it must reach beyond the critical design and gaming school. And so we are working with John Muir, and then we are also in there. They are in conversation with Budlong Elementary coming in as well. Um, we, yeah, that's, that's an important piece yeah. to this because not everyone can afford um, the level of technologies that we have and the people that are coming in to, to train the young people yeah. with the technology. And on the other hand, you mentioned things like, I don't know, feathers, right? <laughs> you know, plastic lenses and, and, and I was like, well, you know, the truth of it is, and, and you know, and we, we also practice here that, um, you know, design, game design is not about technology. Uh, a, you know, technology is maybe an amplifier of a game design, some, some game designs, but it is not the heart of what you are actually practicing. Um, the heart of it, of course, is an expressive, uh, you know, a, 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 a design of playful experiences on what a, whatever platforms that may be. It could be cardboard, feathers, <laughs> uh, as, in the same way that could be Arduinos, in the same way that could be consoles, what, you know, whatever. Um, so it is, you know, obviously, equally true that we don't need a lot of money right. to imagine these kinds of interventions. Right. Right. Yeah. And we, we start there. We start with the materials that don't cost much. Um, As do we. Yeah. Which, you know, a lot of people are surprised about that you, know, you might come to the, you know, this, come to games, you know, university, and the first thing we do is say, let's imagine uh, a board game. 
let's imagine a playful experience that we can all make in an afternoon. I was also thinking of wanting it to have multiple points of entry yes. mm -hmm. for different learners. Yes. So sometimes the technology can be um, overwhelming yes. or cause some, some anxiety or concern. And because we, yeah, most, because they self-select into the school and there's that gender imbalance in the enrollment, um, I, I want every student to find themselves in the imagination lab, whether they're designers or athletes or um, computer programmers. Um, so when you walk in, you immediately see three uh, drawing tables. And people have said, oh, is this an art class? I'm like, no, that's, yeah, I mean, yes. But it's, it's a living, yeah, it's art and. Yeah, and so, the artists can find a place there, the computer programmers can find themselves there, and we've got a few athletes that come in and said, hey, I want to create a game, and they, they're in there. I'm just so jealous, like, when Jeff said earlier that um, uh, he wished that he could have gone to this high school, uh, I just have to say, I, I want to echo that. I, Absolutely. Yeah, can we go back exactly. somehow? Exactly. I'm going to go yeah. back in time. Speaking of time travel, you know, <laughs> yeah. go back in time and... Yeah. Go to this high school. Uh, so speaking of, of going back in time, I you know I uh, I also really loved your description of the um, the board game that would go along you know uh, with reading the Octavia Butler uh, book, right? Um, and it just struck me that having students design games that go along with with uh, literature with other kinds of curriculum uh, is just such a powerful uh, use of the, of the medium, right? Because it's in the design that we actually learn the most about the topic. And as someone who's spent, you know, 10 years making a game about a book, um, about Walden, uh, uh, I know that I thought I understood the book before I started to design. And only, well, actually I realize I still don't understand it now after 10 years of designing about it, right? That you go deeper and deeper until you actually realize you don't know anything, <laughs> you know? And I just think that's such a, you know, such a potent uh, opportunity to have students imagine playful experiences around different types of curriculum that you're doing, which is really great. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned physics as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? What, what does that look like? Um, so for physics, right, let me see for that one, that was the derby car. Yeah. A um, mousetrap derby yeah. car. So the, the young people would come and dr they just started dropping into the imagination lab to use the hot glue gun. Right. <laughs> you know, the, the different wood materials, the cardboard. And it was funny because the one that actually went the furthest was the simplest design. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no was, big spoiler or like air fins no, on it. No, it just was a cardboard with bottle caps that were very, you could spin them really fast. Mm -hmm. They did a really good job of gluing the, the bottle caps in just the right way so that they were connected to the, wow. the, the, the 
I guess it was like these sticks. Yeah. But they also were focused on everything being light. Mm. Um, so it, it went the furthest. And it was the energy source for that was a balloon. Ah. Nice. Right. We need that kind of energy efficiency. <laughs> I look forward to a future full of balloon power <laughs> cars with bottle cap wheels. Yeah. So we, you know, we got to talk about design. Like sometimes it's the simplest design that that will um, be the answer for a particular project. Yeah, and I mean, this is sort of the the heart of the sort of critical design idea is that through the design process itself you uncover all kinds of other lessons that, that may not even be that related to the design, but have these m more sort of meta implications right. or, or help you to go deeper into a text or into some research topic. Um, I'm noticing that we're running a, a little critical design group here around sort of uh, making games about democracy. Mm -hmm. And I've learned so much just from observing my students learning all this stuff that I didn't know about, you know, the structures of, of, of different kinds of voting systems around the world, uh, for example. All this research that's going into this game design, you know, is, is much larger than the game itself. Um, and I think those, you know, facilitating those kinds of conversations is totally the role of a designer in residence. And oh. I, uh, you know, I, I also envy your job as well as wanting to be a student there. I love that. Thank so th you. Thank you for doing this work and thank you for coming here today. I don't know if we have any last questions. Thank you. I don't want to monopolize. Like my high school other games, there are five people in the and they're all just eating food. They looked at me and they were like, Wow. But then, did the club become a, a part, sort of a part of how you? The club died like two. The club Aww. died. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it can help to have somebody like Miguel's, uh, <laughs> uh making sure it doesn't die. Yeah. yeah. And the school. <laughs> I have to definitely. I, I definitely um, walked into a very, very, very special and unique place. Yeah. With amazing. Sorry, can I ask more? I know you're. Yeah, no, no, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, did they already have the concept of a designer in residence when they met you when you when you walked in? I mean, how did that? That's such a special status. Yeah. And an opportunity, right? So, I mean. Yeah. No. So they didn't have the 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 idea. Again, it was. Magali's, we, we like the work that you've done with our students in the past. You've done some really interesting things with them. They've had some great learning experiences. Um, and I, I also sh created other maker spaces in the city. And so I shared some of those other maker spaces that I created or was a part of facilitating and, and designing. Um, so they said, let's make a maker space. And because it's such a special place, with brilliant people, that's why I felt the um, the freedom to ask them, well, can we expand out of a makerspace and really create a space that um, would make this uh, a signature campus? Right. That would make this a model to be replicated um, throughout the country, potentially. Yeah. At, no matter what the, the cost. And they said, go for it. Um, 
And then I started kind of calling myself my, my a designer in residence. Well, I mean, just to sort of circle back to the way that Jeff began this, you know, it, you know, we, we don't, our schools are places where we don't acknowledge how important taking risks and playfulness are to the learning process. So that's why, to me, having the notion of someone who's a designer in residence as a part of a school officially and having a space like this officially where it's, it's literally like the safe space for these kinds of experimentations, mm -hmm. um, it, it seems like such a, a, a wonderful step forward. And so many schools just don't have the freedom to do that. But if you model it and if you can, as you right. say, collect the, the evidence, it's you know, just anecdotal at this point, um, to really begin to prove the case of why having someone like this could make a difference. You know, actually, it's interesting, Jeff, we, you know, before Jeff was brought here as a, uh, on the tenure track uh, as a professor, we actually had him as a game designer in residence, mm. sort of postdoc, um, doing an intervention for our students. Um, and we talked a lot about the notion of actually having, you know, in residence, someone who's designing playful learning, right? And, and I don't know, I feel like this is a, is a, a way of future thinking. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if all teachers can't be playful learners, uh, playful, you know, designers of playful learning, then at least there should be someone who takes point on that in yeah. the environment. And, you know, interestingly, it goes back to some of the origins of institutionalized education. If you look back in ancient Rome, for example, many of the schools in ancient Rome were called ludi. Mm -hmm. um, and they conceived of the schools effectively as these games that you would play to learn about doing something. And you would sort of discover through play. And so the, the, the teachers were called Magister's Ludi, ah, yeah. which uh, <laughs> I would love us all to just be called Magister's Ludi. Um, but, but again, thank you so much for yeah, the galleries. Thank uh, you. Um, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today and uh, really look forward to seeing where this work goes because I, I completely agree with you. I think this should be at every school in the country. Yes. Thank you so much thank again. You so much. Really